Oh, what a sad world this would be if God never got around to Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Nearly 17... Well, we're going to read, as Pastor Curtis read, about God introducing Adam to his wife. And nearly 17 years ago, God introduced me to my wife. Best day ever in my life since then. God began a season in my life of greater sweetness for me and greater glory for Himself. So we're reading today about something very special and very relevant to us today. This is going to be the, the origin of the very first woman. Ladies, this is, this is where you come from. We're looking at God's creation of the very first woman today. Her name was Eve, which means mother of all the living. And as we're going to see, uh, she was created to complete Adam. So we're going to have this question answered for us of where do women come from, which is a question that has been asked for millenniums. When we read the book of Genesis, we're getting a lot of answers to big questions that we have as human beings. And people have tried to answer this question apart from the Bible. Where did women come from? Uh, Aristotle had an interesting view. He actually believed that women were imperfect men. He believed that the gods accidentally created the first female. They made a mistake. Or they think that one of the gods was creating, uh, he believed that the, the gods were creating this woman, and then there was an unexpected south wind. I don't know what that means, but that's what led to the, Im- the, the creation of an imperfect male, which is a, is a female. There's been other, maybe you've heard the story, I've heard the story of a little girl who, when asked, why are there more women in the world today than men. And her response was that after God created the first man, he thought to himself, I think I can do better than that. (laughs) And he was very pleased with his second attempt, and so he's been creating more women than men ever since. Or maybe you've heard the other side, right? The other side where the dialogue in the garden went like this. Adam was lonely and cried out to God and said, God, I want you to make me this wonderful, beautiful, sweet, perfect, fit companion. And God said, I can do that, but it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam quipped back, what can I get for a rib? (laughs) Wrong, wrong, wrong. Three wrong theories of where women came from. But we get to find out today. So let's pray and we'll get started. Good Father in heaven, I thank you for being our Father. And thank you for adopting us as, as your children. For bringing us into a good home with a good Father, with brothers and sisters and love and, and security and joy and an inheritance. Thank you, God. God, thank you for making us men and women. 
God, we thank you for your perfect design. We thank you for creating us without mistake. For making each of us exactly as you intended to make each of us. And and for doing that with great purpose. Help us, God, to understand your word. Help us to understand our origins. Help us to understand how we should function best in this world that you've put us in. So teach us your word. Teach us your truth. Be glorified today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please open your Bible if you haven't already. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. We're going to stay here for a while. God looks down and says, It is not good that the man should be alone. That statement should stand out to you when you read the first couple chapters of the Bible. Because if you remember, everything is either good or very good up until this point. God's commentary on His creation is that it is good. It is, in chapter 1, verse 31, it is very good. But apparently now, as we get into chapter 2, and now we've got the zooming in on day 6, apparently, before chapter 1, verse 31, when God pronounces that everything is very good, there is something that is not good along the way. And what is not good is man without a woman. That is significant. So God's going to get to the point where He says that everything that I have made is very good. In other words, it is complete. But along the way here is His commentary when He looks down at man apart from woman. And He says, it is not good for him to be alone. Things were not very good until the woman came along. That is a biblical fact. Things were not very good until the woman came along. It doesn't mean that things were evil. It means, more literally, that things were not complete. That Adam, specifically, that God's creation of mankind, it was not complete when there was a man with no woman. Men, today... It is not good for you to be alone. Let's talk about what we mean by that. Men, it is not good for you to be alone. First of all, married men, you know this. It is not good for you to be alone. Hopefully you love your wife, you appreciate your wife, and you do not like to be separated from your wife. I hate to be apart from my wife. I do not enjoy being apart from my wife. Now, there are times throughout the year where, where I am. I mean, we, we, could, we can't even go an eight-hour workday, you know, without 75 text messages going back and forth. <laughs> there are times, though, where maybe I've got to leave for a, or for a conference or, or maybe uh, one, once a year I, I take uh, my boys and we go camping 
for a week. Uh, but I, even then, I'm, I'm calling her, get, looking, for, looking for text messages and, you know, get depressed if there's not something there at the end of the day. I do not like to be apart from my wife. I like to be with Kristen. I love to be with her. I hear some men talk about, hey, let's just get away. Let's, we need a guy's trip. Frankly, I've never understood that. If we need to go away for a few hours or, or maybe an evening or something, that, that okay. But even that's going to be tough. But if you give me the choice of hanging out with a bunch of sweaty, smelly guys or snuggling up with my wife on the couch, she will win every single time. No, no desire. So married men. It is not good for you to be alone. Single men as well. There is a commentary here from God as he looks down at at young, single Adam. Unmarried men, it is not good for you to be alone. Now, by God's grace, by God's grace, I really do think that, that, that most of our young, single men here at Veritas, they do know that. You know, they nod their head when they hear that. I know. I know, I'm I'm working on it. It is not good for men to be alone, right? So here is this this young man, and many of you young men, you know this by God's grace. A young man man with with a responsibility drive, with with a work drive, with a leadership drive, with a sex drive. That is not good by itself. And most of you young single men know, and hopefully some of your friends know, that that, that responsibility drive, that leadership drive, that work drive, that sex drive, plus alone, gets you into a lot of trouble. And it is not good for you to be alone. Now, even in my experience, generally speaking, please hear that. Generally speaking, so I know there are exceptions to this. In my experience, generally speaking, young single women are doing just fine and young single men are a mess. In my experience as a pastor, generally speaking, young single women are doing just fine and young single men are a mess. Right? She's eating well. She's dressing well. She's working well. She's thinking well. She's planning well. She's controlling her passions well. She's submitting to authority well. And he is a mess. Right? Generally speaking. Generally speaking. Right? He sleeps more than a cat. His clothes are stained. He's been at a junior college for seven years, right? watches way too much sports, plays a lot of video games, downloads pornography, lives with his parents, and the list goes on. Generally speaking, it is not good for the man to be alone. So, grown boys as we should call them in our culture, grown boys need to understand chapter 2, verse 18a. It is not good for a man to be alone. So young men, you need a wife. You need a wife. And in order for you to have a wife, you will need to become a man. 
This is the incentive. This is the, the drive. So a man recognizes that he's not doing so well. Things are not going well. And God looks at his life and says, it is not good for you to be alone. And so there needs to be progress. There needs to be a transition from adolescence to adulthood. Right? He needs to declare a major, get up before noon, get a job, start reading the Bible, start serving his church, stop eating out of his car. He needs to become, he needs to become a man. And he needs to become a man because marriage is for men. It is not good for men to be alone. So this is a bit controversial, I think, today, as everything in Genesis is. But many young men, it's popular today to say things like, I believe that God has called me to singleness. Which is understood not well. This calling of of singleness. Usually when a young man says that he believes he's called to, to singleness, that is code for, I've been rejected a lot by girls. Or no one is interested in me. So it's a way of spiritualizing getting rejected and turning it into a calling from God. But that's not how this works. Or young men will compare themselves to, to, well, there were single men in the Bible, like Jesus, (laughs) or Paul, or Jeremiah. That may be the only thing a lot of our young single men have in common with Jesus and Paul and Jeremiah. That's probably not the best comparison. Jesus was God, don't forget. Paul was a missionary who knew he was going to be murdered. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And so if you are a young man who has uh, aspirations of going and being a a missionary somewhere to a tribe in the 1040 window and you expect that you will be killed and you have no sex drive, then you may indeed be called to a life of singleness. But if you don't fit those very narrow qualifications, then there's probably something else that needs to change in your life. You need a wife. And so the, the pressure, biblically and properly applied, to men who are stuck in our culture in a prolonged adolescence is you need to become a man. Because yes, at your age, you should already be married. You should be exercising your passions right now. You should be leading a home. You should have responsibility. You should be caring for and cherishing and nourishing a wife. But because your adolescence have been prolonged for so long, you're not ready for that. So we need to be challenging one another and challenging our young single men and creating a culture where men are taught at a very young age that this season of your life that you're in right now, adolescence and childhood, it is moving toward adulthood. That's the goal here. The goal is not to prolong this stage as long as you can and be a grown-up kid. So in our family, we talk to our boys since the time they were... I mean, we're already, we're already making plans. 
I mean, my oldest is 10, and we're talking colleges, and we're talking wives, and we're talking children, and we're talking about these things because we're trying to plan ahead and let them know that the goal here is for you to leave mom and dad and cleave to a wife. That is the goal. So we want, we want men to understand this. Psalm 102, 6 through 7, says, I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. So we have many desert owls in the wilderness. The men who are alone. It is not good for them to be alone. We all laughed when I gave some of these descriptions of young single men. But one of the reasons many of you laughed is because you know that young single man right now. And you know the turmoil that his life is in. And you know the struggle that his life is in. Or some of you men reflect back like myself and you remember the day when it was not good for you to be alone. And you know that that day that God introduced you to your wife was the beginning of the best days of your life. Men, this is not sentimentality. This is biblical. It is not good for men to be alone. Second half of verse 18. I will make him a helper fit for him. So this is God's solution to the problem. God looks down, something is not complete, something is not yet very good. When he looks at Adam, it is not good that he is alone. And so God's solution is, I will make a helper fit for him. Or some of your translations may say, I will make him a helper suitable. Men, this is why it is not good. For us to be alone, we need help. We need help. Some women in our feminist culture find that a degradation to be called a helper. But they misunderstand what it means to be a helper. Do you know that God is called our helper? He's a pretty big deal. God has called our helpers, Psalm, and, and many other places, Psalm 102, 6, and, or Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So men, the implication here is it is not good for them to be alone. It is not good for them to be alone because they need help. And so God's solution is to create a woman so that This man will have a helper that is just right for him, fit for him, suitable for him. A wife is one who supplies help in an area where the helped is lacking. She brings help in an area where the helped is lacking. And so when you see the way the scripture talks about God, for example, as our helper, it is because God is the stronger one and there is an implication of the helplessness of Israel and their need for God. As well, help implies a saving from danger or destruction. Some of you men who are married know that your wives have been sent by God to save your life from death and destruction. Some of you very literally 
And others, at the very least, your wives have saved you from a life of solitude. And she has become a companion to you. And she has become a reason for you, perhaps your greatest reason to be a thankful and grateful man because you see her as the greatest gift that God has given you, a rare jewel. She is God's love letter to you. I love you. Here is a helper, a companion, a best friend, a rare jewel that is hard to find. Here you go. It's beautiful. So he makes a helper that is fit for Adam. So wives, today, wives, your role to your husband is to be his helper. We'll talk more about this in the next couple weeks. But wives, this is your role to your husband. You are his wife to help him. As Proverbs 31 says, you have been given to him to do him good and not harm. A good and excellent and noble wife. She does her husband good. She does not do him any harm. Which is why the Bible says in Proverbs 18 that he who finds a wife to help him finds a good thing. He finds a good thing. He has found one to help him. Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. That's where we get rare jewel. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. Okay, this is God telling us husbands, appreciate your wives. Be thankful for your wives. Love and cherish, which means keep warm. Your wives. Because this is a rarity. Now, common wives are common. Common wives are common. Okay, wives who are, and you, you know this, wives who are uh, maybe physically attractive and wives who are funny and wives who have the same interests and likes as their husbands and, and are maybe supportive in many ways. Those are things that you will find because of God's common grace on the world today that you will find in many relationships. But an excellent wife who selflessly desires to give herself up for her husband to help him lead in a God-glorifying direction. If you have that wife, you have a rare, precious jewel. She is uncommon. She is a gift from the Lord. This is my wife. I told her this week, I said, I'm, I have to talk about you in my sermon. You're just the glaring illustration here. I'm not going to talk about someone else's wife. I mean, you, and they don't compare. I mean, it's you. My wife is my absolute greatest help. My life before my wife was a mess. There's been some messes since. My life was a mess. Our, our wedding is otherwise known as an intervention. <laughs> Changing the course of my life. 
I mean, I didn't eat well. I didn't dress well. I mean, the first thing it was it was just going purging clothes. No more no more turquoise turtlenecks, Eric. Even 12 years ago, it wasn't it wasn't cool anymore. I was top ramen was like three meals a day for me. I was so lazy I wouldn't even add the hot water to the ramen. I just open the packet and pour in the seasoning and eat it like chips. Just pathetic. I don't leave the house without walking by my wife. I, I think I dress okay. No applause necessary, but I think I do okay. But it's because of my, of my wife. We were just talking about it again this week. She's like, it's time for us to go through your closet again, isn't it? I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? I'm trying to smuggle stuff in, right? She's like, you're wearing way too much elastic. I love elastic. I think elastic is, is from the Lord. I just love elasticity. And buttons and zippers. It's just terrible. So I just love, but I also like wearing jeans. And I asked this week, I said, is there such a thing as jeans with an elastic waistband? And she said, yes, they are for pregnant women. So if we've got any 34, 32 pregnant women out there, let me know. I'm interested in those pants. There are people who, here who have, who have known my... They, they've seen this evolution. They've been with our family since the beginning. They remember the day when, when guests would come into our home and I would turn up the volume of the television. Or you heard the laughter. I would turn up the volume of the television because I couldn't hear it with the guests in our home. There was one point where I paid a lot of money for a pair of wireless headphones. And I would put them on when guests came into our house. <laughs> Just... What is the matter with you? Right? But I had to be told. There were things I did. There were things I said. And since then, conduct that was not godly. Speech that was not godly. And I have a helpful wife who has called me on it. We'll talk about submission in the next couple weeks. But submission, wives, is not being quiet. It is not being quiet. It is affirming. And it is receiving and it is nurturing leadership from your husband. But it is not being quiet. And I'm very thankful for the times that my wife has spoken up and spoken into my life and not let me make more mistakes than I have. Those are some of the silly things, but I I can honestly say that one of God's greatest means in helping me to become a respectable man was the respect of my wife. I really do believe that it was the respect from her that breeded respectability in me. I think she respected me before I was respectable. She's been patient with me. She's been good to me. And she has done me good and not harm. I have not for a second in our marriage ever doubted her devotion and her affection for me. And that has been more confidence building for me than anything else possibly could. She is my greatest helper. Incidentally, without my wife, there is no Veritas Church. You realize this church started in a living room. Her living room. And there was a public bathroom. Her bathroom. And there was a nursery. Her son's bedroom. And there was a classroom, her husband's garage. Week in, week out, week in and week out, loving, 
serving, hospitality, no complaining. Without her, I'm not here. Without her, the church isn't here. Do you see? Is this, is this an, an illustration so that you can see how God will send a man a wife and she will be a helper that is fit for him? Men, you are heads of your household. We'll go over this again. And you are called to humbly and lovingly lead your family in a God-glorifying direction. And wives, you are not called to lead your family in a God-glorifying direction. That is his job that he must not abdicate. But your role is to help him. And he cannot do it without you. He cannot do it well without you. It is not good for man to be alone. We will come back to that. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Thank God he did. Verse 19 and 20. Listen to how he does this. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds in the heavens and to every beast of the field. But one of the greatest understatements in your Bible now. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. If you really think about what God is doing here, it's sort of funny. I think he's almost messing with Adam. You're alone. You need help. You need a companion. What do you think of this goat? <laughs> but you, you see what, he's, you see what he's, he's doing. God knows it isn't good for Adam to be alone. But he's, he's getting Adam there. Which is why Adam in verse 22, 23, and 24, he is so appreciative of what God has done because he has a sense of his need for help and his aloneness. So at least a couple things that God is doing here. One is Adam is clearly expressing his dominion in the naming of animals. This is a big deal. He's like the first scientist and he's making observations of these different species and he's classifying them and he's giving them names and then those were the names. But as well, Adam is made aware of his need for companionship. And so he's being set up here to appreciate his wife. Guys, are you you feeling this, Adam? Here come all these animals, and there's pairs of these animals, right? We know that, Noah's Ark. So here's a male and female. Here are all these animals, and they've got a buddy. They've got a companion. They're enjoying life. But Adam, there is no one. I mean, it's a monkey kind of close still. Nothing. It's just not going to work. He's trying to have a conversation. It's not working. So there is just no helper that is fit for him. He starts to, he starts to realize, I believe, his, his desperate situation. That there is something different about him, even from these animals. And that he is alone, even unlike the animals. And it is not good for him to be alone. People will say a dog is a man's best friend. A dog is not a man's best friend. Okay, a dog was probably passed before Adam was not a helper fit for him. So thankfully, God doesn't just stop there and just, ha ha, you know. <laughs> You're just going to be alone. He goes on. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to 
the man. Here's what I'd like us to see in the way God chooses to create the first woman. Adam had nothing to do with this process. Again, there are different ways that God could do this. Adam, here you go. Have a seat. Watch this. Could have asked for input. God puts Adam in a coma, basically. Knocks him out. So that Adam has nothing to do with this process. Adam does not have anything to do. Listen, Adam has nothing to do with the creation of woman nor the selection of his wife. This is, this is an arranged marriage. This is an arranged marriage. Say what you want. But the first marriage is an arranged marriage. Now, not arranged by sinful parents. That can be a little sketchier. But arranged by God. An arranged marriage by God. Okay, we're going to see the wedding ceremony that's going to take place in the garden here in a minute. Today's wedding ceremony, who walks the bride down the aisle? Traditionally, the father walks the bride down the aisle and presents her to her soon-to-be husband and he passes her off to him. It usually doesn't mean anything in our culture today because unfortunately, typically, dad gave his daughter up a long time ago. But we still have these traditions that point back to something where in the garden, it was God the Father who walked her down the aisle and presented her and gave her to Adam and said, she is for you. I give her to you as your helper fit just right for you. But Adam has nothing to do with this process. He does not ask Adam his opinion. Notice that Adam does not fantasize and tell God what he would like in the perfect woman. He doesn't give God his list. Right? Young single men, single women is very popular in our culture. You've got a list somewhere. Maybe it's just mental. Maybe it's on a piece of paper. There's like 21 things. You've already decided it needs to be at least 15 for me to even consider. And we have these standards. And typically the standards start really high, too high. And then the standards go low, too low. Right? Gals start off with really high standards. And then it's sad. And then every year one of the standards falls off. Because, well, maybe my standard's too high. Until finally he just, well, okay, he needs to be literate and have pants on. And then he's qualified to be my husband. And we have these standards. And we have this selection process that we go through. But here's what's interesting. God was not interested in what Adam wanted. God knew exactly what Adam needed. God was not interested in what Adam wanted. God knew exactly what Adam needed. Notice that God does not parade a bunch of women before Adam and ask him to choose. He doesn't do that. Okay, here's a blonde, here's a brunette. Okay, she's tall, she's shorter. Okay, she's athletic. She's, this gal's really smart. He doesn't do this and parade them before and say, okay, Adam, so, so what is it? What is it that, that you would like? See, is. 21st century Americans, we think that the the best way somebody loves us is to give us exactly what we want. That is not true, friends. Parents, you know that's not true with your kids, don't you? 
the one who loves you really loves you and often doesn't give you what you want because they know what you want isn't even what's best for you and they want what's best for you. And some are wiser than you are and they know what you need. If they have any control over it, they'll give you what you need and God gives you what you need. And He supplies all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. So there's an application here, I believe, for single men and for married men. When we look at verse 21, verse 22, and pay attention to how God creates the woman and selects the woman for Adam without his involvement whatsoever. First of all, to single men. Single men, do not think that the key to a happy and lasting marriage is the selection process. Now, I'm not going to speak a lot to what should go into the selection of her husband and a wife, because there are some very important things that should go into the choosing of a husband or a wife. But we have this idea in our culture that it is all about the selection process and that you can find the perfect match and the perfect fit. And if you just do that and take your time doing that, that that will ensure that you have a long and lasting marriage. And so what you have is people who take a long, long, long time to commit because they're looking for the perfect fit. Here's the deal. You're a sinner, and so there's no perfect fit. You're going to be a terrible fit to whoever you marry. You just need to accept that. Because you are sinful. And you're going to sin against them. And so it's not going to be this perfect, blissful, sinless meshing of a man and a woman. That's a pipe dream. It's going to be difficult and there's going to be struggle and that will be for your good and that will be for your real happiness and that will be for God's glory. And so we have people who take a very long time to commit. No, not right. No, not right. No, not right. No, not right. Very slow to commit and then very quick to uncommit. Slow to commit, quick to uncommit. Because then we think we've found the person, they've, they've passed our selection process, and then we marry them, and then we find out they're not exactly what we wanted. I didn't know them when I married them. They've changed. I didn't know what I was getting into, and on and on and on. And so once we realize that they're not the perfect fit we thought or wanted them to be, we check out and make things very easy for them as a society so that they can turn and run and start over the process again. So, rather, do not think that the key to a happy and lasting marriage is the selection process. The key to a happy and lasting marriage is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because I know there are couples who have married one another and there are doubts and there are questions and there is a wondering if you have made a mistake. And so the answer to that is no, you've not made a mistake. There was a greater hand behind your marriage. It was the hand of God. He is in control, He is sovereign, and He has given you the wife you needed, He has given you the husband you needed, they are perfectly fit for you, it is for your good, it is for His glory. No mistakes. Some young men need to pursue the woman that God has put in front of them and stop pursuing some sort of fantasy. There are young single men who have poisoned their minds and have physical expectations 
have emotional expectations, have idealistic expectations, a fantasy that they're chasing and holding out for that they are never going to find. And it may just be that God has put a beautiful, a godly woman right in front of you and you need to pursue her. We'll get to here. You need to be a man, but you need to pursue her. And you need to take initiative and you need to go after her. Because she may be your Eve. She may be the woman that God in his providence is putting before you for you to love and to nurture and to cherish. But many young men today are caught up in a fantasizing of what they think they want, of what they will never have. And instead, you need to recognize and remember that God knows you. God knows what you need. God knows who you need. And there may just be a beautiful, perfect wife right in front of your eyes. Now, I've got to say, I believe if you're a young single man, Veritas Church is a great place to be. Because we have lovely, godly young women in this church. And they are rare jewels. And they are a gift from God. And sometime I want to hit some of our young men upside the head and say, what are you doing? Become a man and pursue these lovely young jewels that God has put among us. Hopefully the young gals say, Amen. Married men, the implication, the most special thing about the woman next to you is this, God gave her to you. That is the most special thing about our wives. The most special thing about our wives is that God gave them to us. Okay, it's not the way she looks, it's not the way she talks, it's not the cute things that she does, it's not her laughter, it's not these other wonderful qualities and wonderful things, okay? The most special thing about your wife is that God gave her to you. Right? You're going to see Adam breaks out in poetry, in song, when he sees Eve, and he doesn't even know her yet. What he is overjoyed about is he trusts God and knows that the God he loves has said, this is the helper fit for you. He believes God and appreciates more than anything that this woman in my life is a gift from a great God. So men, what makes our wives special is that they were gifted to us by God. Thank goodness that we are Calvinists here. Thank goodness that we don't believe that there are accidents and mishaps and that God has turned the world over to human freedom and choice. But the behind your freedom and the behind your choices are God's freedom and God's choices. And so you look at that gal next to you, married man, and you remember that regardless of what you think your role was, In getting her next to you. It was God's hand behind it. 
It was God's hand. You were in a coma. (laughs) The wives can testify to that. Absolutely. Out of it. (laughs) It was God's work. So we love our wives because they were brought to us by God. This is why our wives are beautiful. This is ultimately why our wives are beautiful. That's why if I ask any of you husbands, I say, describe a beautiful woman to me. You better describe your wife. What do you prefer, blondes or brunettes? I prefer a blonde. What is beautiful? What is the standard of beauty to us? Our standard of beauty is always what God the Creator tells us is beautiful. Whatever God the Creator tells us is beautiful. So husbands, God has brought you a wife. This is what He has said. Look at her. She's beautiful. She's for you. Perfectly fit for you. Isn't she wonderful? And we love her. And we cherish her. And if you ask us what beautiful is, beautiful is this gal right here. Adam gets this. He gets it. Verse 23. Now these words may not sound too romantic. Translated over, right? We lose the rhyming that's in it originally. Most of you gals, if your husband... The husbands, don't go home and put this to music and think that that's going to that's gonna woo your wife and it's going to be a good night for you. Not necessarily. This is what he says. Then the man said, This is at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So what he does say here is it is beautiful in the original Hebrew language. And it is poetry. It's poetic. It it, it rhymes. Some think that he he may have even sung this when he saw his wife. So the very first recorded human words in the Bible. Okay, let's take a step back. The very first recorded human words in history are the words of a husband to his wife when he meets her. Isn't that great? These are the very first spoken words. They are the words of a man who has just been introduced to his wife. And what does he say? He says poetry. He is inspired to poetry. In other words, he's even treating his words differently. He's thinking about what he says and how he says it very carefully because he recognizes that this is the best moment in his life so far. As God has brought him his wife. The glaring question that men should ask themselves when they read this, husbands, is how do we speak to our wives? Now, I know not all of you are going to go home and write a poem to your wife. I know that not all of you are going to write a song to your wife. But how do you speak to your wife? Adam says some wonderful words here, and we're going to see very shortly in chapter 3 that he then turns and uses his words against his wife, and it's tragic. But, man, we need to examine our lives. 
Maybe the first question for a lot of men today is, do we speak to our wives? Do we speak to them? Okay, Proverbs says that the heart is like deep waters. The wise man draws it out. Do do we speak to our wives? Do we listen to our wives? Do we engage our wives? Do we draw out those deep waters from our wives? Do Do we want to hear what they have to say? Do we want to know what's important to them? Do we want to talk about what is important to them? I have become a man who loves talking about baby girl bows. At first it was like, that's a lot of bows. Like, really? Is this a receipt for another bow? And now, now I love it. I had to get on board. It took me some time, but this beautiful woman, this gift from God, she, she loves the bows. Well, I better start loving the bows. She wants to talk about bows. She comes out to my office. Can I show you the bows? Yes, show me. And I'm, now I'm excited. What kind of, show me the bows. You found two more. I was sure we had all the bows. She literally has websites she has cleaned out. There are no more bows there that she can purchase. Show me those bows. That's a beautiful bow. That's bigger than the... I didn't know they made them that big. It's like... We're, we're like neck support, right? But they're, 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 they're made miraculously. I mean, they weigh hardly anything. They, they're, they're, you know, scientists are behind this. They're literally trying to make the biggest and most beautiful bow, you know, that won't negatively impact the child's development. And so she puts this, you know, I, I see my baby girl in the morning and she just comes walking out in the hallway. She's already got the bow on her head. And my wife, is, she's adorning her. It's biblical. Because you are beautiful. You are precious. We're going to adorn you. Love you and, and cherish you. And that's in here. And it's out here. It's wonderful. I love talking about those. Men, do you love to speak to your wives? I'm sure they listen to a lot of things they don't want to listen to. They will today. (laughs) For some of you men, don't be discouraged. You need to start with speaking to your wives. You need to start with speaking to them. You need to carve out time or you need to take advantage of those moments when she interrupts your time and just cherish it as long as you can. And you need to listen and you need to talk to her. Because it's a gift from God. Do you speak to your wife? And then how do we speak to our wives? I've heard and you've heard, I've heard some men speak to their wives the way they speak to other men. We should not speak to our wives the way we speak to other men. She is not, thank God, one of the guys. Is that what you men want? Do you want Steve and not Eve? (laughs) Do you, do you really, or do you, do you want this precious flower that God has given you? Do you want to recognize that she is very different and a perfect and wonderful compliment to you? And therefore, you're not only going to behave yourself differently around her, you're going to say things differently to her than you would to other people. Oh, well, she needs to be thick-skinned and it's for her good. No, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. 
Do you speak to her and are you careful with your words? And do you speak to her like she is the rare jewel that she is to you from God? Are you conscious of that? Follow Adam's example. Follow Adam's example when we read how he speaks to his wife. Now verse 24. One of the most quoted Bible verses in your Bible. Genesis 2, 24. Paul, Jesus, they love this verse. They all refer to it when they're talking about husbands and wives and marriage. In the New Testament, we get much more teaching on what marriage looks like and what um, husbandry looks like and headship and helpership. But here, verse 24, they always come back to this verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We so need to understand this today. This is the process that God has put in place for a man and a woman to come together and to be a husband and a wife. It starts off with the word, therefore. In, in other words, men, do you want this? Single men, do you want this? I mean, listen to what's being described here. This wonderful, beautiful woman brought to Adam, created from Adam, created for Adam, brought to Adam. And then he breaks out in song when he sees her. And there's this wonderful friendship and companionship and lively relationship. Men, do you want this? Verse 24, therefore, how does that happen, in other words? How do I get that? Verse 24, therefore, a man shall, here's how it must work. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So this is tremendous incentive for young single men. Do you want this? Do you, every man wants to, at the very least, become one flesh. And we live in a culture where men are after becoming one flesh. And the way our society does it is, let me become one flesh with whomever I want, whenever I want, as many times as I want. And God says, no, no, no. This is how it's supposed to work. This is what precedes a man becoming one flesh with a woman. He must leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and then the two shall become one flesh. He needs to become a man. He needs to grow up. He needs to move out of his parents' house. He needs to leave the leadership of his parents. He needs to become his own man and have his own life so that he brings a wife into that and not into some mess that he has. And then he is to hold fast to his wife. He is to pursue her and love her and adore her and work with her father if he's around. And he needs to become married to her and have a wedding ceremony. And then he gets to become one flesh with his wife. And becoming one flesh with his wife is then the greatest expression, and it is the most significant physical expression of his covenant to her, his devotion to her, his promises to her. To her. And if you take becoming one flesh outside of that context, it is totally meaningless. Totally meaningless. And doesn't the young gal who's been the victim of this and put herself into this know this over and over and over again? That it felt good to be loved. 
I think it felt good to be accepted. It felt good to be pursued. But in the end, there is clearly no meaning to this at all. And it's fleeting and vanishing because it is not a man who has left his father and mother and is holding fast to, or some of your versions say, has been united to his wife. And then the two shall become one flesh. We live in a culture where young single men are trying to become one flesh with as many women as they possibly can without being united to them and many times without even moving out of their parents' house. And God clearly says in his word, this is not my design. First, he must grow up. God puts a drive in a man for a reason. And the drive in you is there to be an incentive to you to become a man so that you are marriable and you can have a wife. And so it is not good, and this is why the man who is 35 and has not grown up yet and is not a man and is not marriable is in so much trouble spiritually. Because he should have become a man 15 years ago. And he should have become marriable 15 years ago. And he's very frustrated now. Must leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. He must transition, in other words, from adolescence to adulthood. Men, the obligation of this relationship then takes precedence over every other relationship, including your relationship to your mom and dad. The Bible has much to say about the relationship between parents and their children. How parents are to treat their children and what parents' role is with their children. How children are supposed to treat their parents and what children's role is to their parents. And parents are to love their children and train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They're not to provoke them to anger or discouragement. They're to discipline them. They're to nourish them and encourage them and to teach them and to love them and to give them joy and hope and security. Children are to honor their parents and to respect their parents and to one day care for their parents. And this is the way God has designed this family. But then there is a point, right? There's a point where a young man leaves his father and mother. He goes from adolescence to adulthood. He's no longer a mama's boy. He's no longer a mama's boy. And the primary bond and the primary relationship in his life becomes his relationship to his wife. Don't you know or haven't you had? Don't you know of relationships where a wedge has been driven in between a husband and a wife? And one of the wedges that has been driven in between a husband and a wife is the husband's devotion to his mommy. Some of you just got really uncomfortable (laughs) because... That wedge is still there. And it's become very clear in how he is defensive of his mom and how he protects his mom and what he will say to his mom and what he won't say to his mom. It's become very clear that his allegiance is to his mom and his allegiance is not to you. And you wonder why that's so painful and you wonder why that feels wrong and you wonder why that doesn't feel right. Well, God makes it very clear. He was to leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife. And ideally, there's no tension and ideally this all works out. But if a man has to choose between his mom and dad and his wife, you better believe he chooses his wife every time. That is the more sacred bond. It is a portrait of Christ and his church. I also know of men in this church who have put their relationship with their parents on the line because of their love and devotion to their wife. Wives, if you have a husband like that, you have a great husband. Don't underestimate how difficult that may have been for your husband to leave some of those ties that he had before and to leave a life that was comfortable and secure and beneficial in many ways 
to leave that and to choose you. That is a wonderful, God-honoring thing when a good man lays down that for the love of his wife. As well, it's very clear here, you wonder why we get defensive as Christians when we talk about what marriage is, because this is what marriage is. For this reason, a father will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He holds tight to his wife, to a woman, not another man, and not women. Both becoming more acceptable in our culture. A man holding... It does not say a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his husband. So whatever that is, whatever that is, a relationship, a committed relationship, I don't doubt the love, I don't doubt the affection between two men or two women, whatever that is, it is not marriage. It's not marriage. Because we have a biblical definition of marriage. God doesn't bring him Steve. God doesn't bring him Eve's. He brings him Eve. And so Adam is to be a one-woman man. Heterosexual monogamy. That's what we believe. Heterosexual monogamy. That's marriage. One man, one woman for life. And if you wonder where we get that, it's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So before a man is married to his wife, he may have a wide range of friendships and activities before the marriage. But once he's married, everything changes. A new bond is formed and it is the most sacred of all bonds. Young men, expect that when you get married, your life needs to change. Young men who are recently married, if your life has not yet changed, your life better change quick. Men who've been married for a long time and you're still the guy that you were before you got married, it's getting real late. The friendships are going to change. The relationships are going to change. The activities are going to change. Right? You have gals who, who get married and they say, I don't know, I've just always, all my best friends have just always been men, so I don't see the big deal. It's a big deal. You have one man friend now, and it's your husband. There's some mutual friends, okay. There's some acquaintances, that's okay. But there's no close friends, there's no great friends, there's no best friends that are men. He's your best friend. Guys, the same way. Well, I'm always just related better to women. Right. Well, now you better relate better to a woman. And these relationships need to change. Now, these friendships, maybe the guy has friendships with other guys and, and it's, it's destructive to his relationship with his wife or there's a certain bad company that corrupts good character or there's things that are not helpful or beneficial and his wife says it. And if he's a First Peter 3 husband who's considerate of his wife, then those friendships are going to change and those relationships are going to change. Guys, will use silly excuses like, oh, well, I'm trying to minister the gospel to them and I don't want to abandon them. Well, be an example of the gospel by holding fast to your wife. And set that example for them and choose her and mean what you said in your marriage vows. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. John Calvin said, Our parents had nothing in themselves that was unbecoming until they were defiled with sin. Imagine this in the garden. We, we cannot relate to this because we as guilty sinners, right, we have a lot to be ashamed of. 
you and I have a lot to be ashamed of. And we know this. That's why we don't even like people staring at us. I mean, we're afraid they're going to see some physical imperfection. What we really believe if someone stares at us long enough, they're going to actually see our soul. They're going to see through, and there's an uncomfortableness there because we're an ashamed people. We know the sinfulness that is within, and we don't like it when people see that sinfulness that is within. But this is before Genesis chapter 3. This is before there was sin. This is before there was guilt. This is before there was shame. This is why we hide ourselves today from people. This is why we hide ourselves from certain people. This is why we hide parts of ourselves even from our husbands and from our wives. Because we know the reality of our sin. And we are a people who deal with shame because of the reality of that sin. But Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, before they were guilty sinners, had no shame and had no reason to hide anything. Let me say this in conclusion. We're going to talk more in, in the next couple of weeks about head and about helper next Sunday, more about submission next Sunday, more about ontological equality between men and women and functional inequality between men and women and what that means. Uh, we'll look more at the complementary relationship between a husband and a wife. But I do want to, in conclusion, just look back because it's something we went through quickly because I wanted to save it for the end. Go back to verse 21 and 22. Just one more time and just hear this. Verse 21 and 22. Remember, friends, always ask yourself, read God's word carefully and ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand why God does things the way God does things. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep, we emphasize that, to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his, here's what I want us to pay attention to, one of his ribs. He took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. In conclusion, what I want us to see when we're talking about this relationship between a husband and a wife, I want you to see that when God created this first woman, when God created Adam's wife, he took her from his side. He took her from his side. Matthew Henry said this well. This is a famous quote. Some of you have heard this. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam. Not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that great? God created Eve from Adam's side. Not from his head that she should rule over him, not from his feet that he should rule over her, but from his side that she should be equal with him, that she should be by his side, that she should be next to him. I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that one of the most comfortable positions for a husband and wife to be next to each other is with a husband, and many of you have it right now, a husband, his arm around his wife, bringing her in close back to where she's from. It was beautiful. His side. His side. Men, our wives are a gift from God 
to us. Young single men, there are are gifts from God that He has in store for you. Our wife is our friend. Our wife is our companion. There is no mention of children yet. There is no mention of procreation yet. The Catholic, Roman Catholic Church likes to say that that's the primary purpose of marriage. is just procreation. Augustine even agreed with that and thought that, well, if companionship was with the goal, then God would just give us a man to be married to. But no, God gave men, husbands. God gave you a woman. He gave you a beautiful woman. He gave you the perfect fit for you, woman. And she is to be your wife. She is your greatest friend. She is your greatest companion for your life. So men, let us remember. Let us remember when we look at our wives. Let us remember who she is, where she came from, and where she belongs. Let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, what a masterful God that you are. It is, God, when we think of the blessings that you've given us and how you have crafted these great gifts for us, it is sometimes hard to imagine how the life to come is even greater when we think of the great gifts you've given us here. God, on behalf of all the husbands that are here today, uh, we think of our wives now and we say thank you. We think of our wives now and we express our gratitude to you and thank you for the the day that we can all remember when we were introduced to her. We thank you for the thankfulness and gratitude and poetry and song that, that breaks forth from our heart today because you have brought us a helper suitable for us. God, we ask that you would in this church and in this city and in this nation and in this world, that that you would be glorified in marriage. Uh, We pray that more and more believing men and women, believing husbands and wives would turn toward one another and would love and devote themselves to one another and showcase the relationship between your son, Christ Jesus, and the church. That there would be an undying, never give up, no matter what kind of love between Christian husbands and wives. And that would be a display of the never give up, no matter what love that Jesus Christ has for his people, his church, which you call his bride. We pray that even today, that if we have sinned against you and against our wives, that you would break us and cause us to be humble and contrite. And at this time of communion, when we remember your body and we remember your blood, Lord Jesus, that it would be a time of conviction. That we would even now repent and turn from our sin and turn to you and turn to our wives. For the rest of those here today, God, who, who do not have a marriage, who have had marriages and lost marriages, I pray that you would bring comfort. I pray that you would bring joy. I pray that you would bring, for all things are possible through, with, through you, all things are possible, that you would bring the ability to have joy, to honor you, and to glorify you if their lot in life is to be single. And we pray for our young men and our young women. And God, if if your will is marriage and if your will is to bring them together, then Lord, we ask that you would do that even in this church for their good and for your glory. 
We do pray these things as always for the sake of, because of, and in the name of your Son, our elder brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.
Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.